Hey everybody, welcome to a post Book Expo America, an IDPF edition of the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael. Really, we spent the last week in New York and our website was one of the primary sponsors next to Digital Book World and Publishers Weekly for the IDPF. What exactly is the IDPF? Well, basically, they're the regulatory body that oversees the development of EPUB 3, EPUB 2, and next generation of formats. The first day of IDPF was actually the most exciting because it featured industry stalwarts such as Otis Chandler, uh, the CEO of Overdrive, we Sylvia Day, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell, a ton of authors, and we found it to be very interesting. The first day of IDPF was actually the most interesting in terms of engaging roundtable discussions on the current state of affairs regarding self-publishing libraries and how they play a role in ebooks and their digital strategies. The second day of IDPF basically focused on the technical aspects. So there was a lot of talk on where EPUB 3 is going, some of the new things that are going to be added to it during the next you know few months. The one thing I really took away was that there's a new SDK for EPUB 3 for the Redium Reader. Now, Redium was basically a showcase that the IDPF and everybody involved in EPUB 3, it's basically an online reader, so you can sort of test how your eBooks if they have media such as audio, video, interactivity via maps or read and record features, you could really test it. And they're actually releasing a full SDK of this reader in July or August or so. So this will give anybody who's trying to enter the field and actually create either an online reading tool or offline and also to test their library of content. What we also took away is that there is a Chrome plugin for Redium, and that's actually going to be discontinued. Some of the new things that are going to be involved in EPUB 3 is dynamic layouts, much more dictionary support, as well as being able to highlight, anointate, and make notes and actually share them with your friends and colleagues. So those are a bunch of different elements that are going to actually be hitting EPUB 3 and fully integrated into like the scope within the next few months. Today on the show, we recorded a few interviews during Book Expo America. We talked to David Burley of Overdrive and to talk about the big read program, how that went, also what other things that they have cooking up their sleeves. And we also talked to Samir, who is the head of hardware at Kobo. And he basically talked to us about the design of the Kobo Aura HD. So if you have one or if you've seen one you know that the Kobo Aura really buckles the trend of e-reader design certainly looks very different in terms of Kobo's previous hardware releases it's 6.8 inches where most of the industry is at 6 inches and it's a very interesting design so we've talked to him and he'll explain sort of the design aspects. Well, did we meet anybody cool? That's really what it's all about. Well, I really like Sylvia Day. I think we recorded on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash goodyreader uh, about a, a nine-minute interview or so, but actually before we even filmed her, we were talking for about a good 30 minutes, just rapping about everything, what authors she likes, uh, where does she get her writing inspiration from, 
how she normally goes about and writes her books, author friends of hers that she really likes, and I found her to be very down to earth. And it's rare that you can encounter an author who has made millions of dollars, sold tons of books everywhere in the world, and who is legit and, and down to earth. And I really like that. Unfortunately, a lot of the other people that I met seem to have super big egos, and I'm not going to mention any names, but yeah, I found that overall, Book Expo America is one of those events where in the past there used to be a lot of announcements, but it's almost turned into the CES of the book world, where most of the times companies stage their own controlled environment to release products. I think of Apple, think of Samsung, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo. Whenever they have new hardware or big announcements, they often stage their own events. This way they can invite who they want and not everybody and their mothers actually showing up to throw a monkey wrench into their plans. So I've kind of noticed in Book Expo America's past, there used to be a lot of cool launches, a lot of new companies hyping up new services. This year it seemed that the companies that were actually startups didn't actually have a booth. They were just there meeting with people to actually try to do business. So I found it from a news angle, it was pretty light, and I found the most exciting aspect was actually the IDPF conference because that was the more emphasis on self-publishing and digital and all that stuff. I met a lot of great people. I met uh, Jeremy Greenfield, who's a fellow news writer for Digital Book World, very fine man. I also made a lot of connections at, at Random House, Simon & Schuster, Penguin, Scholastic, and a bunch of other companies. So you can expect that in the near future, we're actually going to be talking to Scholastic about their Storia. Scholastic Storia is basically their app and they have it available on iOS, Android, and a myriad of other platforms. It's basically the digital arm of Scholastic, where they push out enhanced ebooks as well as other kids' books. And we'll be talking to them about how did they initially think of doing the digital strategy, how many people work for them, what does it take to construct an ebook, and is doing a multimedia ebook is it easier or harder than doing the traditional print book so uh, sometime by the weekend we'll actually be interviewing the head of Scholastic Storia and talk to them about all of the questions that I mentioned and then some so if you are a fan of Scholastic you won't want to miss that what I'm going to do next is I'm going to play you an interview with David Burley of Overdrive. Okay, so it's Michael here from GoodyReader.com. We're at Book Expo America 2013 alongside David Burley of uh, Overdrive. And uh, we're just going to talk about Overdrive Read and some other projects they have going on. How's it going? All right. Very good, Michael. So Overdrive, the big read, that's been the thing that's been in the news a lot lately. It was your first time uh, partnering with... Uh, publisher source books to get a book available in all participating libraries give us a general overview of what the program was all about sure the big library read was a program and really was a pilot project really that we came up with and launched May 15th it's about to end tomorrow actually June 1st will be the last day so it was about a two-week pilot program that we were able to put on to about 7500 libraries worldwide their home pages uh, of libraries that opted in. Um, these libraries participated and, uh, and were supporting, even without a lot of promotional advance notice, 
um, supporting this, this book that was generously donated by Sourcebooks. Dominique Rocca was the CEO and Michael Malone, the author, uh, were indebted to for their uh, participation and willingness to really make this available worldwide, make it available for free to the libraries, and make it available for simultaneous use from libraries. All they, you would need to get from a library would, uh, would be a library card to check the book out. And so the, the program has run, it's got one more day as I said, and we've seen tremendous interest and excitement from the libraries and from readers overall. Um, overall, I think we've seen almost six million cover impressions. I'll start to throw out some numbers here. Um, obviously a lot of checkouts, a lot of um, sampling, the excerpts, and there's more checkouts now for the Four Corners of the Sky, which is the name of the book, than Gone Girl, Fifty Shades, and the whole Fifty Shades series, the next four, those four titles combined. So this obviously wow. got great, great um, visibility on the library websites. People are talking about it. Uh, Mr. Malone had a Facebook chat, so there's been a lot of interest generated. And libraries, even with the, with the short notice, have been really excited to talk about it as much as they could on their websites and in their libraries. Yeah, I mean, considering the success of this program, less than one-third of libraries that you deal, dealt with actually had the time and, and everything to actually right. get this book into their system. What was the general feedback from the libraries participating in the system? Did they say, did they notice an increase of walk-in traffic, of sign-ups on their webpage? Uh, how did that all play out? Yeah, we're still, we're still gathering that data. So at this point, we're, you know, we're still gathering the information from the libraries. We definitely are seeing an increase in new users. So this is reaching more people just from a pure visibility and awareness and a buzz standpoint. We're seeing an increase obviously in use, but we, you know, all that information we're gonna compile and put out a, you know, a report to, to explain and analyze as much as we can. What we've seen then also from a, that's important to not only the libraries, but also to the publisher and to the author and to other publishers and authors who are watching this pretty closely, is that there, the impact has been pretty dramatic in, in terms of sales. So while the visibility in libraries um, has been great, discovery, um, the use, the checkout, the book has been free, obviously in the public yeah. library, the impact on the sales has been nothing less than, as I said, dramatic. Um, we've seen all of the, the there's been a lift on the, the, num the book itself. Um, the Amazon ranking went from, the Kindle version of the Amazon rankings went from 119,000 to as high as 19,000. And there's been other numbers, I think, for the hardcover book that, that went from 67,000 down to as high as 11,000. Um, we've seen Sourcebooks data, and they're gonna be sharing some of their sales data on the print, um, but there's been up at, at least 600% for the, for the book itself. Actually, these are the e-versions. I don't even have the print numbers. There's been a dramatic lift on his other titles. Mr. Malone has written seven other titles. So all of these, data points really serve serve the uh, the message and the and the important um, um, thing that we're trying to tell all the publishers and all the libraries is, is the, the important role that libraries play in discovery of titles whether it's a new title or it's a backlist title like this is so it's pretty safe to say that not only has libraries benefited, the authors benefited, you guys have gotten a lot more visibility because of this. Surely this is not the end of, of this project. Oh, Michael, you know us too well. So we are planning to do additional programs. Uh, we're hoping to experiment with an audiobook soon. 
We're hoping to experiment with another ebook. Um, we're, we're offering it to libraries that they can do it either in their own library or regionally or statewide, certain themes. So we're really, again, this is a project. We didn't give much notice, but we're seeing such good success that we want to see how else we can apply it and make it available for the libraries to use. Because most people equate Overdrive with libraries, with digital books, but most people are not aware that you have an extensive audiobook library too, so using this as a showcase for the audiobook service and for the availability and just letting people know would actually be yeah, would absolutely. be solid. Absolutely. I mean it's you know we have ebooks and audiobooks on the same platform. We have music and video and it's just you're right, it's raising awareness of all the different formats that you can you can access at your public library to enjoy a book in any way, practically any format and on almost any device that you want. So seeing as though we're talking a lot about libraries, we have some experience with a new platform that you'll be unveiling for libraries soon. A, a touch screen interface with for ebooks and all other content. Why don't yes. you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, the Overdrive Media Station is in pilot right now at Enoch Pratt Library in Baltimore, also at the Warrensville Heights branch of the Cuyahoga County Public Library in Cleveland, um, as well as in, I believe we're in Singapore. I think, I think we also got one out there to Singapore as a pilot to introduce and raise awareness inside the library on a non-proprietary piece of hardware. It's a touchscreen monitor. Um, it could even work on any, um, you know, any of the workstations as well, but it's an ability to showcase the library's collection to any patrons that walk in the door of the library. And so it's in these locations, as I mentioned, as a pilot, there's a large touch screen that they put right in their lobby. So it's, you know, where the ebook collection might largely be invisible to the physical visitor of a, of a library. Now it's very visible and it's, you can walk right up. What we're demonstrating here is, is the retail version of that, that we're demonstrating here at Book Expo uh, for publishers and retailers to see, hey, this is a new channel, this is a new way to showcase your uh, e-books and audiobooks in a physical location of a store. Well, the, the library version of that is the same concept where we can showcase and, and increase the discovery of e-books and audiobooks inside the library. So we have actually have hands-on with this new uh, terminal. So if you want to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash goodyreader, uh, the CEO of Overdrive actually walks us through it. So you can get a sense of what we're actually talking about uh, today. Uh, so finally, you You've mentioned a, a very interesting point about with this terminal, it actually makes ebooks, which is normally invisible, visible. Now, you actually are running a contest right now that will actually has a few uh, components that actually encourages libraries to submit to you their various campaigns to make ebooks a little bit more aware. Can you tell us a little That's bit about right. that? That's right. Uh, and, and I apologize because I don't remember. We, I think we just changed the name of this. It's an outreach contest yes. that we're making available, and we encourage all libraries who participate in ebooks in the library to submit their best um, outreach promotional campaigns. And we do have, we've been doing this for four or five years now. And so we see such great ideas from all over the, the world, really, all, you know, throughout the Overdrive network of 22,000 libraries and schools. To just see how are they how are they getting the word out? Mm -hmm. Again, it's you know like you said it's you know it's largely invisible. Your best customers and your best patrons and your you know your users are in the library, not only online at home 24/7 around the community, but also it's a way to get word out inside the library 
We've seen uh, great examples of, of promotion outside the library and billboards uh, through radio and PR. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we've seen lots of great examples all over the place. So it's, we're running the campaign again this summer. So when, when you award the winners and you, sh yeah, I believe you're showing them this year on Pinterest and on your own website. So the, 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 the libraries that are actually doing innovative things, you actually profile so people are made aware of it. Now, when it comes to a small town library that may not have the creativity to be able to do something like this, how how are you taking the contest winners and sort of using them as case studies to inform other libraries that hey you could use QR codes or hey you could put inserts in your physical books to make them aware of ebooks or right. you know this that and the other thing there's a myriad of things that people could do to uh, advertise digital ebooks within their greater library community do you take this data and actually share it with libraries that they want to or make it a part of your marketing package absolutely we make it available you know on our blog we send out information on newsletters and, and so forth to all of our library partners just to show them that it really doesn't take a lot sometimes there's templates there's ideas the best ideas really are the ones that don't cost a lot because yes. we know there's there's a greater sense that they're going to be applied and be available for use you know in a far greater number of places so um, we share we share the best practices there we share the greatest ideas as I said in print and online through trainings. Um, we're having our user conference this summer. We're at Digipalooza. We're going to be having librarians present their ideas and, and some of the best things that they've been doing over the, the course of the past year. Um, and we, we love to award great ideas. Yeah, and I mean, I think libraries ultimately will benefit for this. So for GiddyReader.com, my name is Michael. We're at Book Expo America 2013. So it's actually kind of funny. We tend to literally stock overdrive. And I mean, we just seem to be always at the same events, whether it's CES, whether it's the AILA Midwinter Conference, Book Expo America, and then in a few weeks, we are going to be in Chicago for the America Library Association's annual conference. And we're really looking forward to that because there's going to be tons of people there in attendance. And there's actually big news. I mean, a lot of major publishers have committed themselves to either pilot projects or nationwide rollouts in the United States and then going into Canada as well. So it's a good time for the Library Association. And when we were at the Midwinter Conference, a lot of the big ones hadn't signed on yet. And then from then until now, two big ones have signed up. So we'll get everyone's thoughts the president of AILA, Maureen Sullivan, will of course talk to her and we'll talk to a lot of the other movers and shakers within the library realm to give you the heads up on exactly what the future and the rest of 2013, what will hold for greater accessibility of ebooks through people with disabilities, as well as people wanting to get their hands on ebooks, audiobooks, and video from their local library. Next, let's talk to Samir, and he is, of course, the head of devices and hardware at Kobo. Yeah, so what I was talking about uh, is, is the sort of the approach to the design. We wanted to take an asymmetric approach, not just in the sort of aesthetics where you kind of see this asymmetric design, but also in our strategy. So we wanted to, 
we see the uh, we see the consumer electronics industry kind of going this in this one direction. There are certain biases and trends that creep into that industrial design uh, sort of uh, philosophy. However, we wanted to take it a different direction. We just um, we just kind of left it open for our designers to say, make the big make the best e-reader for the passionate e-readers, the most passionate e-readers that e-read hundreds of books per year. Like we have a, a cohort of people uh, that read that many books. And uh, that's like several books a week. It's pretty, it's, it's a pretty, very voracious readers. And just give them free reign. What would you do? And that's why we kind of broke out of that mold of, of uh, you know, six inch e-reader, you know, everything's a flat black slab. Yeah, um, cookie cutter. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of cookie cutter. There's, there's certainly a, 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 a place for that. Uh, for example, Kobo Glow is definitely our best-selling product still. But the response to this, the, uh, to Kobo Aura, um, even with the with the with the avant-garde design, has been amazing. It's been really good. So what you you see that coming through through the design, like I said, is um, we kind of take an approach that references, or the designers took an approach that references the simplest of things, like folded paper, mm -hmm. for example, like an origami kind of pattern, or the spines of a book. Um, in, 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 the, in the ridges, for example. Uh, so from an aesthetic standpoint, uh, it, it references those kinds of sort of things that people are familiar with. Um, on top of that, uh, as, as sort of an ancillary, uh, um, ancillary thing that we were going after was to make, try to make a device that is less techy and gadgety and more like even has sort of an ornamental Mm -hmm. Appeal, yeah. Like so, if you if you have uh, if you have if you're at home in your living room or your coffee table, you you can just place this there and actually kind of have it at, be a conversation piece or something that you're proud to own and proud to show off almost, yeah. uh, and not just be like a just piece of technology that you kind of pull out when you're bored. Uh, so it's 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 more than just an e-reader, but it just happens to be also the best e-reader uh, as well. So. From a static standpoint, that's that's kind of some of the some of the thinking behind it. Um, from an ergonomic standpoint, when you're holding the device, the ridges actually allow the pads of your fingers to rest against the gentle angles, uh, that and that gives you a little bit of a better grip and allows you to read uh, uh, read more comfortably. So that's on the back on, on the back uh, on the back design. On the front, we've actually taken a very minimalistic approach. So yes, when you have the e-reader the e lying down on your coffee table or anything like, you want to be proud of, of that ownership. You want to be, you want, you want something that's beautiful, different, and engaging. Yeah. Uh, when you're when you've turned it on and when you started reading, you want all of that to disappear and you want to focus in on the uh, on the on the story. And that's what we've done here. There's very little really to speak of when you when you're reading. What really stands out is the screen, the resolution, the crisp, clear characters. Uh, uh, and fonts, and it's just you and that, and that's everything else is just supposed to melt away. Yeah. Well, this is higher resolution than some of the, like your other viewers, right? Because of the bigger screen. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. So uh, it is definitely higher resolution than the other e-readers. So um, our Kobo Glow was the highest res before this. It was 210 DPI, 212 DPI. I forget exactly. Uh, this is 265. So to give you to give you a sense, the uh, Retina iPad is 264. Yeah. So you're gonna, what is, so what does that mean to an uh, to to a reader, to someone who loves books? That means that simply means crisp and clear text. 
right? And that's before we actually even do anything with it. That's before we apply our uh, our uh, uh, um, enhancements that we've done to the typography and the fonts. So we did this with the glow as well. We went through each font, pixel by pixel, character by character, and basically hinted, or it's in process called hinting. We filled out any uh, any areas that were less than optimal for the screen, and made, made basically tailor made the fonts for the e-ink screen. And so that's why that's another reason why the, why the fonts look so crisp and so clear is because they've gone through that process hundreds of hours for some font engineers. Um, we let them shower every once in a while, but <laughs> they were locked in a room right, getting this stuff done. It was a lot of work. So uh, it, it's sort of uh, that, that obsessive attention to uh, to, the, to to typography and, the, and what makes a great book um, that you know we, we feel that a lot of these passionate readers and voracious readers are going to share and that's why it's going to resonate with them. Of course I mean this appeals to the advanced user because you could actually load in your own fonts if you chose right? Yeah absolutely so you're uh, that's a great point but you, if you if you if you feel that you have a particular font that you love or that you uh, that is easier for you to read read with, and you have that font. You can if it's a true type or open type font, you can you can just simply or free type. You can just side load onto the device, and it'll work. I use Wingdings personally. Yeah. <laughs> I, that that is that is a skill. Yeah. That is a skill that needs to be developed. It's like it's a little bit more advanced than hieroglyphs, but once you do it a lot, you can figure it out. You're like. I've seen that bell before. I know what that word means. War and Peace is nothing until you've read it with Windows. Oh, <laughs> so have we seen the last of the quilted back or is this just because it's a limited edition? You took a little bit more risk with the, the, the back of the design. Yeah, we felt like while, while there was a lot of uh, love for the quilted back and we love the quilted back as well, we felt we wanted to try something different. That's not, that's even though our, all of our products have that quilted back, yeah. that's not really uh, uh, the essence of Kobo, right? Totally. The essence of Kobo is is uh, is delivering a great reading experience, and we're willing to do whatever ta whatever it takes to get that done. So um, whether you've seen the last of the quilted back, maybe I'm not really sure. Actually, is the, is the, is, the, is the question? Yeah. The the designs of uh, future products, you know, they will be looked at, looked at on a case by case basis. What the trends are, what what people are what, what people are looking at, where we feel the design sensibility should go, and then the decision will be made whether to have the quilted a quilted uh, uh, theme or not. Yeah, because I mean, part of the advantage of some of the newer lines, of the newer devices that you put out, like the Kobo Glow and uh, the Mini and, and things like that, is some of them, you could swap out the back and put like a new cover on. So, was, you know, generally, was that like a success? Like, did you see like a lot of people do that? Like, use the, like... The, the, the slip-on covers and things like that? Or do you find more people are responding to like a cooler design? Because I, I, I'm responding to the design, because yeah, like you said. It's really interesting because for for, uh, for Kobo Aura, you've actually made cases, our, our, our sleeve cover cases actually conform to the contours of the back. So you don't lose that, that cool yeah. design, even if you have the case on it. Uh, and actually, uh, if you ever get a chance to check out the, 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 the Kobo Aura cases, the sleeve covers, they're actually quite nice. I really like, I, I, I use one with my device, which is actually a quick back, but um, it's, uh, it's indispensable to me. Okay, so we heard from Samir on some of the design principles on the Kobo Aura. 
Well, we did actually talk to Otis Chandler of Goodreads in an exclusive interview. He basically told us that the entire Goodreads concept was actually discovered by accident. Originally, he intended the website to just be aimed at his immediate friends, see what they're reading, and get recommendations on what he should read. And he basically said that it was just a small website that was just his immediate friends. And then it kind of grew from there where people he didn't know started to join and their friends started to join and it just spiraled. And then they ended up, you know, getting to where they are today where Amazon had purchased a company for a hundred million dollars. One thing that I was very interested in knowing is what is going to happen with the overdrive API. The overdrive API is basically user ratings and user reviews of all of the eBooks in their system. Kobo and Sony actually tap into this API in order to uh, facilitate their own reviews. And so rather than develop their own platform and get users to review in their own system, they just pull all the Goodreads stuff. They basically told me that for the immediate future, these companies have nothing to worry about, that they're going to support that API going forward. But he didn't, um, the feeling that I got was that you know, for the next year, status quo, after that, nobody knows. It, it seems to me that oh, Goodreads is going to let, let it, they're going to be left to their own devices. So they're going to, uh, Amazon's going to allow them to run their business autonomously. This is the same sort of principle behind Zappos, behind Audible where there's a lot of synergy between Audible and Amazon, but the Audible crew basically gets to do their own thing. They still have to report, obviously, to Amazon, but they are left to their own devices so they could run their business and implement new features and things like that um, at will. And so my feeling is that Goodreads is similar going to be able to do their own thing without a lot of mandating from Amazon. If anything, you're going to see a greater Goodreads system placed into future Kindle Fire devices as well as their Kindle line of electronic readers. He wouldn't really say on what aspects of the Goodreads experience will actually be on the Kindle, but I do know that the Kindle social media aspect is lacking. There's a lot of big name authors that are on Goodreads all the time, writing reviews, doing Q and A's with people. And I think that's what Amazon mainly wants. But from talking to other people at IDPF and BEA, they're all saying that Goodreads was a strategic investment by Amazon merely because they didn't want to compete with them. And that's sort of the thing with the business world where, especially with like eBooks and digital content that sometimes you just don't want to compete with anybody or you could see them eventually becoming a threat to your business model. So you just purchase them straight out. I have a funny feeling that we will see some Goodreads stuff transcend to Amazon, but if you think about it, Amazon has their own ratings and review system that is very deep and extensive, and they've been developing their own like their own content review and rating system for the last like seven or eight years. They certainly don't need Goodreads for that information, and Goodreads themselves isn't really much as a social network as much as it is people just 
painting books that they want to read, uh, plugins that if you're a message board fiend that you could say, okay, my goal this year is to read 30 books and I'm on book 12 and it'll give like a progress timeline, the goodie, the Goodreads logo and that's fine. Their social media, it really, it's Facebook Connect. <laughs> I mean, uh, there is some Facebook synergy between posting things from Goodreads to your timeline and things like that, but there really isn't a secret sauce. And so everybody was kind of speculating on that. It's like, what does Amazon really need Goodreads for? And my take on it from speaking with everybody was that Amazon just didn't want to compete with them. They didn't want this big book review social media service out there uh, for someone else to potentially scoop up like a Yahoo or maybe a Kobo or something like that. So they just basically bought them out just so they can forget about them. And besides Goodreads, there really isn't a major book community out there. You have few message boards like mobile read or the goody reader forum and things like that but you don't really have this all-in-one destination that attracts authors and people wanting to share books with each other so of course it's all speculation but almost everybody that i spoke to said the same thing so what did, what did we really take away from book expo well it mainly has to do with the future of epub 3 and it's not really available or viable yet for prime time. It's a work in progress and admittedly the Daisy Consortium and a lot of people including Pearson which is the parent company of Penguin, they all basically said it's a work in progress. Likely it'll never be done but EPUB 2 is polished. There's really nothing really being added to EPUB 2 anymore. It's been like the unilateral standard for the last like six or seven years. Whereas EPUB 3, it's constantly in flux. One actual thing that actually surprised Dark Horse, the comic book company, was that if you do migrate to EPUB 3, it is all compatible with EPUB 2 and you don't really need to do anything with your old assets. So if you are a small press, a boutique publisher, even an indie author that wants to migrate towards EPUB 3, you don't have to do anything with your EPUB 2 files. It basically just allows you a greater amount of flexibility with uh, fixed and non-fixed layouts as well as being able to do some more advanced things like media, um, dynamic maps, a lot of audio and video content, things like that. Uh, for instance, if you don't know really what I'm talking about, imagine a cookbook where instead of just a picture of the dish and a list of ingredients, you actually will have someone in a video showing you what these ingredients look like, going to the store and cooking them live in front of you. So instead of watching a cooking show on TV that you have to tune in at a specific time, this cookbook will actually have videos and audio that will show the entire process of cooking. So if they say this dish will take 21 minutes to make, it'll be a 21 minute video. So you could basically follow along on your iPad or tablet in your kitchen and cook along. That way you're not making any mistakes because usually on TV when they're cooking things, they do a lot of cuts and there's commercials and things like that and often if they're you want to know how are they stirring it are they stirring it every few seconds are they stirring it every few minutes but when you watch it on tv because the time constraints are always cutting it so this is a good example with cookbooks on how 
they could really take advantage of some of the EPUB 3 elements. But EPUB 3 borrows a lot of HTML5 and CSS elements, custom styling sheets, and a lot of web standards. And even on its own, there isn't really a lot of geolocation abilities yet in HTML5 or EPUB3. And this is actually rubbing a lot of companies the wrong way. Uh, for instance, Google, Microsoft, and the BBC are heavily lobbying for geolocation aspects to HTML5 and EPUB3. For instance, the BBC is mainly the UK. If they release either ebooks or a lot of web content, but they only want to limit that to the UK because they may not necessarily have the distribution rights to uh, have anybody outside the UK actually use the service. Uh, similar to Love Film, it's a Netflix for the UK, but it's, you know, Love Film is aimed at the UK, and so they put digital rights management in place to basically not allow anyone not at, in living in the UK access the content because they may not necessarily again have the rights to distribute it they may only have regional rights instead of international rights so all of the rights thing comes into play in order to really have this as a standard and you know there's no geolocation rights yet in HTML5 or EPUB3 and this is really preventing a lot of companies from going all in on it because you can't protect your content against unauthorized access. One of the actions okay so book rights and this is the thing that I've really learned a lot about mainly speaking to Michael Tamblin, who is in charge of the expansion efforts at Kobo. Kobo has been one of those companies that have been aggressively entering a lot of markets, Brazil, Portugal, Japan, you name it. They're everywhere in Europe, New Zealand, Australia, North America, South Africa, and a lot of other markets. What does it take to enter a market? This was actually one thing that I learned a lot about. So let's say, for instance, Kobo was talking about moving into India. That's their next market. Well, what does it take from a conceptual stage to actually enter a foreign market as being both hardware and selling ebooks? Well, I'll tell you. So Kobo has a pool of guys that have, you know, 20 or 30 years of being either agents or specialized in book rights for regional, uh, countrywide, and international rights. So these are people that have been in a game a really long time, go everywhere, know everybody, and mainly say, okay, you know, we want to distribute your book in the US, Canada, and the UK. Let's make it happen. So with India, say, in order to expand from there, they first send over a few of these guys that have decades of book rights experience. These guys talk to a number of small presses, boutique publishers, as well as specialized publishers. Um, markets like India are mainly the only markets left for Kobo other than like China and, and other markets like that. Uh, take years to really get into. So once they send the book rights guys over, they end up uh, setting up a satellite office. So they would set up a satellite office in India, 
and they would have the guys there, the book rights guys, hire some local people that really know the local landscape. So they'll poach them from other companies or they'll do some strategic hires, uh, some sales guys, and they'll basically just pound the phones all day long, getting people to commit ebooks over to their platform. So whether they're going to be self-publishing with Writing Life or whether they are you know, getting things in Hindi and Punjab and, and other languages because, of course, when you look at extensive markets like India, there's just not one language that everyone speaks. There's, you know, two or three major languages and, of course, a lot of regional dialects. India is very rich. Uh, same with China. They have, you know, uh, Mandarin and a lot of other major languages there. And so it provides a barrier because you have to talk to a lot of people to commit. It's just not easy to say, okay, you know, we'll offer you 3 million English speaking ebooks, which is fine. But in order to really penetrate the market, you need to be able to secure those local publishers to commit 50,000, 100,000 books. So people living locally could buy, you know, the, the local bestsellers autobiographies of like the Bollywood stars and things like that. So once they actually get the publishers on board, then they start appealing to the bookstores. And Tamlin actually said that PC's little point in selling e-readers in the tech shops, so uh, the big chain technology shops, the computer stores and things like that, he says that they want to go where the readers are. And this is why Kobo has been very savvy about getting bookstores to sell their hardware because that's where the readers are. He basically said that he would rather sell one e-reader to a book lover than to sell three in a tech shop where those people are very unlikely to be loyal book readers. If you have the visibility of selling hardware in a local bookshop, you're more likely to appeal to the core demographic, which are the actual readers. So once the publishers are on board, then they have the content and the leverage to go to the bookstores and say, like, listen, we have 50,000 books available. We want to sell uh, the hardware in your stores and really kind of tap into it. And then once the stores are on board carrying the hardware, then Kobo will put out uh, more of a unilateral effort to get everyone else that was either on the fence to get on board saying, okay, we have these 10 publishers. We're in, you know, a thousand bookstores. We're making a major push. Are you in or are you out? And most of the times, because Kindle and a lot of other companies really don't have the penetration in India like they want to do, and of course, Barnes & Noble is only relegated to the UK and US, there really isn't a lot of competition in India in terms of ebooks and hardware devices. So that's mainly what Kobo does um, quite methodically to enter new markets, book rights, talking with publishers, hiring sales guys, establishing a satellite office, getting their e-readers actual in bookstores rather than just tech shops, and then, you know, rinse and repeat. So the whole book rights thing is sort of new to me because obviously I've dealt with a lot of authors, I've dealt with a lot of companies that sell e-books, but talking to actually these guys that are very knowledgeable with book rights is actually 
It's very insightful. So this is a post BEA and IDPF wrap up. We pretty well just talked exclusively about what I've seen at the conference. Stay tuned later on in the week where we'll do our week in review and we'll talk about all of the regular stories that popped up during Book Expo America and IDPF that I didn't talk about today as well as all the big announcements and news items from this past week. So thanks for listening guys. My name is Michael Kozlowski, editor-in-chief of goodyreader.com and I'm out of here.